Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast, presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. You're listening to the recorded audio of a special Facebook Live episode called The Black Actor Conference. To watch the full video version, you can visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash B-L-A-Q show Michigan or at B-L-A-Q-N.org. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome back to Black Queens on Stage podcast. My name is Ashley M. Lyle. This is where we honor and acknowledge Black women performers and discuss racial issues within Michigan performing venues. And today is the second part of our uh, Q&A for the second half of our entire series and actually the last episode of this entire series. So today I'm joined here with Dan Johnson, who's like been my ride or die throughout this whole thing. (laughs) Hello, hello, Miss Ashley. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. And we also have Krista Eubank from Open Book Theater, who's also moderating again for us today. Hi, Krista. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so um, we didn't get any questions in in the email, but we will answer your questions towards the end of all of this. Um, But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, the survey answers and results, and we're also going to introduce a statement that Dan and I have been working on called Towards an Anti-Racist Michigan Theater. So let's get down to these survey survey points. Yes. I'm going to log off. Put your questions in the chat, and I'll be looking at those while these two talk to you and I'll be back for the Q&A, but I'm gonna hand it over to you guys for this. Thank you, Krista. Thank you, Krista. So this survey, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, First off, thank you to everybody. Thank you, bless you, to everybody who took the time to fill it out. Yes, Um, thank you. The response was honestly pretty overwhelming. Um, And so, instructive and mm-hmm. so informative um, just in terms of how uh, black indigenous people of color or Latinx theater professionals in the state are thinking and feeling. Um, and just in terms of all of the everyday marginalization uh, and discrimination that they have to put up with systemically. Yeah. Um, some of it was extremely surprising to me. Well, but this whole series, uh, Ashley, has been extremely uh, informative and in some ways very surprising to me. So thank you to start with. Oh, I mean, thank you for giving, for like really encouraging me to really get into this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the thing that, the thing that I want to make clear about this survey is that we, um, we received answers from BIPOC and uh, Latinx theater professionals. So that includes community theater, professional mm-hmm. theater, and independent theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to make sure to include all of those that are a part of the theater community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just really get down to the information about this. No, but I mean, because that's the, I personally take the approach uh, particularly when it regards to, you know, black theater professionals, people of color theater professionals, um, 
we're all theater professionals. Mm-hmm. If, if you're getting up on a stage and doing the thing, um, you are a theater professional. Exactly. And I personally make no distinction between community theater, uh, semi-professional theater, um, educational theater, academic theater, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a young theater professional in a, in a collegiate setting, of course, or if you're mm-hmm. a teacher in a collegiate setting, of course. Um, non-equity professional theater, equity professional theater, it's all theater. Mm-hmm. And all of these issues that we have been talking about are issues that affect Michigan theater on every single level. Um, yeah. So I thought it was a really great idea and really important to engage everybody in the Michigan theater community. Yes, absolutely. Because, it, it, you know, Dan and I both were both professional actors. However, you know, we didn't, we wanted to make sure that we didn't miss anybody within the theater community um, mm-hmm. as we were building this. Mm-hmm. So um, what should we start off with first, Dan? Um, well, let's start off maybe with uh, survey design. Yes. Okay. Um, so the initial idea for the survey uh, came out of discussions that Ashley and I had been having in terms of being able to reach out to as many Black, Indigenous, people of color, uh, Latinx theater professionals as possible um, throughout this process. Uh, because we had been noticing that we'd been getting wonderful response um, in general from the Michigan theater community. And we'd been getting a lot of great questions and we'd been having a lot of great discussions. Um, but also, I mean, I will say on, on my end, uh, privately, uh, having discussions with black theater professionals specifically, um, I was noticing a hesitation to come forward publicly and discuss a lot of these issues, which honestly makes complete sense to me because all of us want to work. All of us love theater and want to stay employed in it. Um, and I believe I talked you know, a couple weeks back about the calculation that so many of us do um, when confronted with a racist or a problematic um, situation or even just a microaggression, you know, analyze it. If I say something about this, what will be the effect? If I say something about this, will anything be done? If I say something about this, will I be considered difficult? If I say something about this, will I have the opportunity to continue doing what I love? Um, so th- it, it wasn't unsurprising. Um, but at the same time, on our end, it was concerning because you know there are so many voices that for very, very understandable reasons, aren't being heard and they need to be heard. So the survey was designed to give folks a chance to do that. Um, In terms of writing the survey, in terms of coming up with the questions, the two main things I was trying to determine or trying to build in was one, to allow a place for black indigenous people of color, Latinx theater professionals to share safely and anonymously Um, their experiences. Um, Basically, and we put it at the top of the survey, feel free to be as specific as you would like. Um, Any results that we shared publicly would have any identifying information completely removed. We won't name theaters, we won't name individuals, we won't name even specific characters or experiences or shows. Um, This is literally, we are trying to keep everyone involved as safe as possible. And the second 
thing that I was trying to build in was basically trying to determine whether or not um, Black theater professionals, um, Black Indigenous people of color, Latinx theater professionals experienced equitable treatment in the Michigan theater community on as many levels as I can think of compared to white theater professionals in the Michigan theater community. Uh, so that's, that's how I came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, honestly, this, this was a conversation between me, you, Krista, and mm -hmm. also uh, Sarah Hawkins, uh, Rusk. Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> Hey, hey, I'm terrible with names. Don't expect anything. Um, <laughs> but we were we were trying to figure out how can we help to alleviate that that hesitation. And then that's where that's definitely where the survey idea came in mind, mm -hmm. because we wanted to make sure that confidentiality was key. Yes, absolutely key, because our the the, the whole idea of this of this conference, the, this whole podcast is to be a complete safe space for artists of color, uh, particularly black artists. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that y'all are still getting your work like you need to, Well, but just, but just without that, the, 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 the clashback from white counterparts, ADs, presidents or whatever after within viewing this. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a way, um, we are trying to, um, throughout these discussions with the survey, um, with the statement that's going to be coming up soon, uh, trying to provide a model for what we want the Michigan theater community to look like. Mm -hmm. um, because in so many areas, and we'll talk about some of these results um, as we go, Michigan theater is not a safe space. And there's absolutely no reason why it shouldn't be, uh, particularly in regards to uh, race or ethnic identity. Um, and, you know, and again, we'll we'll go into details, but you know, we're talking about in some instances people who are working in demonstrably unsafe environments um, where they're being specifically targeted for racial discrimination where they're being specifically targeted for ethnic discrimination, um, often, uh, as we found, you know, directly to their faces. And yet still, they're being expected to perform. Um, perform with uh, a smile and, and not be difficult. That, right. Why are you being difficult? Why are you being ungrateful? Why must you be so uppity about it? <laughs> Yeah, the time for that is over. So, <laughs> uh, so, th so that's um, ultimately what we were trying to determine and what information we were trying to gather from the survey. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk about the results. Sure. So, uh, so according to our, from a demographic standpoint, a majority of 59.6% identify as black with biracial or multiracial at 21% and Latinx 7% being the most common identifications. Um, and I, for those that, that probably are friends with me on Facebook, I personally put up posts 
asking for you all to tag a black actor, tag a Latinx actor, tag a Native American actor. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was very surprising because I, I used that as a way to gauge what this survey was going to look like mm-hmm. and to also shed some light on you know other actors of color that nobody really knows that much about or is aware of. Um, and it was very surprising to me that nobody could promote a Native American actor. That was very surprising to me. Um, I don't know how many Native, how many people identify as Native American that are actors within the Southeast Michigan area or even in Michigan, period. I don't know because I'm only a Southeast girl, so I don't know. But it was just so interesting to me to to come across that result um, with Middle Eastern, there was probably three or four people that um, people talk, you know, promoted on on that post. So it was very very interesting. Um, a majority of the respondents, sixty nine point two percent, indicated that they worked in the Metro Detroit area. Seventeen point three percent in the Southeast Michigan area, being the next most common location. So we tried to get this survey out as far out to Michigan as possible. Um, I was actually able to reach out towards the Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo area, but nothing in the Northern area. So that's, that's unfortunate, but I mean, it is what it is. But this does give us a good gauge of who is being represented the most as far as theater is concerned. Um, the most, yeah, the most common venue where respondents found a majority of their work as theater professionals being allowed to pick up, pick up to three choices was in non-equity professional theater at 48.2% with semi-professional being 34.6, educational being 32.7, being the most common. So it's really interesting that, um, a lot of the people that we were able to contact, a lot of the people that spread this message along was within non-equity professional theater. Um, I would have liked to have seen more community theater get involved in it. Um, We did have some, but I would have liked to have seen more within the community theater. Did you wanna say anything, Dan? Oh, um, I mean, no, 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 all of these, you know, demographic results, I think, are so important because what I appreciated about them um, was that we were able to, while a couple of particular groups were underrepresented, um, particularly, actually, um, equity actors, um, in terms of talking about actors that identified or belonged to um, any union, uh, three quarters of respondents said no. Um, which in and of itself, uh, there are many potential reasons for that. Um, for one thing, equity is expensive. Um, Very. You know, but just just the breadth of the responses was so helpful um, mm-hmm. and helped, honestly, us in terms of designing the statement that, that we came up with. Um, oh, and by the way, I should mention that... Um, this, the results of the survey, and uh, the statement towards an anti-racist Michigan theater are available on the Blacken website. 
-hmm. So you can check them out. Um, we hope that you do so. Mm -hmm. um, in particular with the um, statement. Yes. Um, and keeping in mind that in terms of feedback from, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color, Latinx, theater individuals, I personally, and I'm sure Ashley would as well, love for this to be an ongoing conversation. Um, because it, it, it needs to be an ongoing conversation. Um, so to that end, please feel free to email blackshowmichigan at gmail.com. Um, please feel free to reach out to either one of us directly. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. We always love to hear from you. Um, and also to uh, theaters in Michigan. Um, you know, please do look at the statement. Um, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of consideration and a lot of voices um, helped to shape that particular document. So um, with that having been said, uh, let's go into some data. Um, <laughs> in regards to bias in Michigan theater, uh, in response to the question, overall, do you feel like Michigan theater is equitable for all professionals regardless of racial ethnic background? 88.5% of our respondents said no. Um, Specifically, have you felt that Michigan theater has shown a bias towards white theater professionals? Um, in responding to that question, 86.5 of respondents said yes, versus 13.5 saying no. That's jarring. Uh, even, That's... oh, I mean, completely, completely. <laughs> I mean, the, the gap between is mm -hmm. in and of itself, just ignoring anything else and we're not going to. Um, but just ignoring anything else, that's, a, that's an astonishing gap. Yeah. Um, even larger um, was when we asked about whether or not Michigan showed a bias towards white theater audiences. 92.3% uh, of respondents replied yes. Uh, they felt in their experience that Michigan theater did privilege white audiences. Um, yeah. Um, and then let's see. Um, ah, um, to pull one quote um, from optional follow-up responses, uh, because we did want to hear what people had to say, uh, but we made those optional. People weren't required to if they didn't feel comfortable. Um, there is an inherent bias in the works selected, written, cast, and directed against people of color. It is severe lack of representation. Um, I mean, that says a lot. Right. Right there. Right. Um, and then in regards to representation on stage and in audiences, um, in response to the question, have you ever worked on a theatrical production in Michigan in which at least 50% or more of the creative team was white, 92.3% of respondents replied yes. Versus have you ever worked on a theatrical production in which at least 50% or more of the creative production team was black, indigenous, people of color, or Latinx? 63.5% uh, of those respondents replied yes. Um, so there's definitely a gap there. Mm -hmm. uh, but even more illuminating, I thought, was the follow-up question. Um, of the respondents who had replied yes to working on productions in which 50% or more of the creative staff, production staff, was white, 75% uh, of those respondents said that they had done so at least five times over the course of their careers. Uh, by contrast, 
when it came to working on productions in which at least 50% or more of the creative or production team was Black, Indigenous, people of color, or Latinx, uh, the majority of people had indicated that they only had done so once, 35.9%. Uh, <laughs> and the second most common response uh, with 30.8% was that they had only done it between two or three times. So yeah. not only are people not getting the chance to work with as many Black, Indigenous, people of color, or Latinx theater professionals, period, um, the number of opportunities given for that kind of representation is extremely skewed. Yeah, mm -hmm. it really is. Mm -hmm. um, let's move down to the working environments and safety. Yes. Um, that was, whew. This is one that of the upsetting. personally, um, and, and again, this has been a learning process throughout, but um, some of these hurt a lot to read. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or, or some of the stories that we've had on panels hurt a lot, um, but they're necessary to hear. Um, and then once having heard, it's necessary to do something to fix these issues. So, um, have you ever encountered a working environment in Michigan theater in which you or people you were working with were made to feel uncomfortable or unwelcome because of your racial ethnic background? 55.8% of respondents replied yes. In response to the question, have you ever encountered an instance in Michigan theater in which you or other people you were working with encountered an overtly racist slash ethnically or racially inappropriate working environment? Three quarters of respondents, 75% said yes, they had. An artist shouldn't have to go through that at all. No. Never. Especially when, when we have to rely on our creative selves to portray the character, to be the character as best as we possibly can, but then having to deal with the other crap on the side, you know, that affects our work. Mm -hmm. That truly mm -hmm. affects our work. Uh, let's read some of the um, responses that we got to these follow-up questions. Oh yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions following up, have you ever encountered an instance in Michigan theater in which you were either asked to or felt compelled to behave in a manner that you or others found to be stereotypical, racist, eth or, or ethnically, racially inappropriate? 46.2% said yes. Mm -hmm. And some of the follow-up uh, answers to that question is... AAVE, African-American Vernacular English, in conversation directed only to me that I didn't initiate. Mm -hmm. Another one saying that the director constantly made racist jokes. They reminded their cast to make sure to bring their sandals, but not their Mexican sandals. Mm -hmm. uh, one um. more. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, honestly, the one that um, was extremely surprising to me mm -hmm. was uh, I was told in a collegiate academic setting that I was light enough to play anything, but try to play more Latina because Latinas are in. 
being compared to a mammy or having a scarf I wore called a do-rag just because I was a black female actor with a scarf on my head. Um, and then one response that really cheered me up, I don't allow such behavior and I confront anyone who tries to make me feel uncomfortable. Um, which leads very well into the next section of the survey um, in regards to Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx theater professionals feeling empowered and supported. Mm -hmm. um, in response to the question, for any instance in which you encounter discrimination, did you feel empowered to share your concerns with other Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx theater professionals, uh, either within or outside of your working environment? Uh, about 70% of respondents replied, yes, they did. Compare that to, for any instance in which you may have encountered discrimination in Michigan theater based on your racial ethnic background, did you feel empowered to share your concerns with white theater professionals? Only 36.5% of respondents replied that they felt comfortable in doing so. Um, and then in response to the question, for any instance in which you may have encountered discrimination in Michigan theater based on your racial ethnic background, was the problem ultimately resolved to your satisfaction? 63.5% of respondents replied no. Um, and some follow-up responses, uh, quote, the few times I have brought up issues regarding my race and my treatment within a primarily white theater environment, I was brushed off and nothing was done. My concerns were entirely ignored and I had to suck it up to get the paycheck. Uh, this one, which is one that I personally have encountered, the issue was dealt with when they were aware that someone was watching them. Once the presence was gone, they relaxed. Uh, this is something that we have tried to counteract in our statement. Uh, often no change occurs. I'm given lip service, but no action. Like this, this is, this is honestly, truly um, upsetting. It really is. Because a, a person shouldn't have to go through these kind of things. Nobody should. No, no. I mean, because we're talking about safety and inclusion. We're literally talking about if I have a problem with something, do I feel comfortable and safe in speaking up and out about that problem? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were talking about a scenario with to pick the example that I go to in my head, uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Um, <laughs> if your harness felt unsafe, you would speak out about it. And mm -hmm. you should have a right to speak out about it because it's unsafe. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're talking about a discriminatory working environment, um, you should feel empowered to speak out about it because it is unsafe. Uh, and yet, in so many instances, people don't. Right. Um, but that actually would be a pretty good segue into what people would like to see going forward. Yeah, uh, and mm -hmm. oh, and um, so one of the sample responses to the following question, if you could demand one change in Michigan community, in the Michigan theater community going forward as it relates to BIPOC Latinx theater professionals, what would that change be? Uh, one of the answers being produce more authentic stories. That's number one. Mm -hmm. um, another one saying more diversity, representation overall. One answer that I just absolutely love because it's just simple and to the point. Oh, is it my favorite answer? Which one is it? Oh, okay. That's a very good answer. Equity is an excellent answer. <laughs> equity, just yeah. solid equity, yep. period. Across the board. 
Um, the one that captured my heart, <clears throat> and I quote, admit to your racist shit so we can move forward in truth. Goddamn. <laughs> um, because that is what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so moving forward, uh, Ashley and I and our amazing panels that we've had have talked a lot about the issues that we face as black professionals in theater, mm -hmm. as black indigenous people of color slash Latinx individuals working in theater in Michigan. We have talked a lot about these issues. What is a way forward? So our statement toward an anti-racist Michigan theater. Uh, let's see, where should we start? Um, it's broken into a few sections. I'll start there. There is a foreword. I'll read a little bit of that. First and foremost, the following statement is not meant as an attack, nor is it written from a place of malice or revenge. Rather, it is written out of a sense of urgent insistence and from a place of hope. In the aftermath of the horrific, senseless, and racially motivated murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, Nina Pop, Tony McDade, Dominique, Remy Fells, and far too many others, even in the midst of the global COVID-19 pandemic, a pandemic that has in the United States brutally and disproportionately affected Black Americans and other people of color, including Native Americans. Black Indigenous people of color slash Latinx Americans are now, more than at any point in recent history, demanding that the United States begin to finally dismantle institutions built on systemic racism and begin the work of building a more just, equitable, and inclusive future for all Americans. Here in the Michigan theater community, theaters across the state, at all levels, community, educational, semi-professional, non-equity professional, and equity professional alike, responded with words, images, and statements of solidarity, of partnership, and of willingness to listen and act. Black, Indigenous, people of color, slash Latinx theater professionals across the state of Michigan now insist that Michigan theaters live up to those statements, not just through words, but through actual, actual, actionable, and transformative change. Black, Indigenous, people of color, slash Latinx theater professionals recognize that change of this nature will inevitably be imperfect at first, and that change is an ongoing process. By that same token, Michigan theater must recognize that transformative change, though imperfect, must be both an ongoing process and a permanent commitment. Michigan theater has, in its past, attempted to mollify Black, Indigenous, people of color, slash Latinx theater professionals through performative allyship. This has not worked in the past, and it absolutely will not meet the present moment, nor will it meet the future to come. Black, Indigenous, people of color, slash Latinx theater professionals recognize that for many individuals in Michigan theater, particularly white theater professionals, there may be fear, hesitation, or anger involved when it comes to accepting how they, either individually or collectively, have contributed to the current culture of discrimination and erasure in Michigan theater. Instead of indulging in those feelings and allowing them to once again manifest in privilege that halts the work of transformative change, Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx theater individuals demand instead that these individuals open their hearts and minds. To those among them who have experienced 
and will continue to experience the painful and degrading effects of such manifested privilege against them, and yet who nevertheless have responded by opening their own hearts and minds to the Michigan theater scene with passion, commitment, and joy. And in that spirit, one of open hearts and open minds, Black, Indigenous, people of color, slash Latinx theater professionals hope that now they will finally be truly seen and heard by their peers and that Michigan theater will engage them as it begins the joyful work of transformation into a safer, more vibrant, more inclusive, and more equitable place for all in the Michigan theater community. So that's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, go ahead. So trying to pick a good spot. Okay. So oh, actually, mm, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to mention the, um, the way that we break it down from there. Um, mm -hmm. There are three sections to the statement. The first is recognition. Uh, the second is reflection. And the third is action, because we felt that in order to fully comprehend the work ahead of all of us, um, there needed to be time to recognize the problem. There needed to be time to reflect on the problem and to truly understand the problem. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, we need to act. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and just a reminder, because um, I'll be reading just key points from, from each of the sections, but the entire uh, statement, the entire survey analyst will be on the blaqn.org website. Mm -hmm. And you just go to the section that says our voices and both will be there on that page. Yes. So recognition recognition and acceptance that Michigan theater has operated for years in such a way as to routinely champion whiteness in all forms from privileging white stories to privileging white artists to privileging white administrative staff and privileging white audiences. Those decisions were made at the expense of giving voice to BIPOC Latinx stories, giving chances to BIPOC Latinx theater artists, giving opportunities to BIPOC Latin theater administrators and creating a theater that could be more fully shared and enjoyed by BIPOC Latinx audiences. Recognition and acceptance that even in situations in Michigan theater where BIPOC Latinx artists were asked to participate or BIPOC Latin art, uh, Latinx characters, stories were depicted or administrative staff were asked to contribute or audiences did, did attend in all of the above situations. Individuals were almost always asked to participate within the context of whiteness. Almost no accommodation was truly made for their perspectives, their concerns or their artistry and the experience. And almost no effort was made to understand them from the particular cultural context or experience. The expectation was not that Michigan theater would expand its definition of what theater could be to include BIPOC Latinx, but rather that BIPOC Latinx shrink themselves to fit within the confines of whiteness in Michigan theater. And furthermore, that those asked to do so should not only do so without complaint, but be grateful for the opportunity to be asked to do so. Let's move down. Recognition and acceptance that this current situation and these problems are ultimately not the responsibility of BIPOC Latinx artists, 
professionals, audiences to solve on their behalf of Michigan theater. Rather, it is imperative that Michigan theater address and solve these problems on behalf of BIPOC Latinx artists, professionals, and audiences. BIPOC Latinx theater professionals, audiences may choose to assist theaters in addressing the problem in whatever way they feel comfortable, or they may choose not to, but as racism is institutional in American school systems, the American prison in, in, industrial complex, American police systems, et cetera, so is racism institutional in Michigan theater, and it is up to the institutions themselves to address the problem, to address and solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now we're in the section of <laughs> reflection. And first one is examination of the theater as a creative institution. And I'm just going to bullet point these because we'll have to, we'll have to move on, okay? We covered a lot. We, we got did. a lot. We did. Um, play, se play selection, casting practices, creative teams, administrative personnel, apprentices and internships, equity and compensation, board of directors, workplace safety concerns and speaking up, and audiences. Now we've moved on to the action. Um, if you want to go ahead. I, would, I, would, I just want to, um, there are actually quotes uh, from um, black artists that we happen to love and respect. Mm -hmm. um, at the top of each of these sections, I want to share this one here um, in front of action. Just because it's a unique perspective doesn't mean it can't offer something universal. Absolutely. Uh, and that quote is from Lynn Nottage, who of course is an astonishing playwright. You um, need to read her work. Yes, yes. Uh, homework. On, on top of fixing Michigan theater, read Lynn Nottage. <laughs> read, read Infinite Apparel, read Sweat. Um, mm -hmm. But I wanted to share that quote because I wanted to put it there as a reminder that I think a lot of times there's this preconception, and I would argue a misconception, that stories about Black experiences, stories that center Latinx voices, stories that involve Indigenous people, stories that involve people of color, um, you know, the Asian American experience, um, somehow are inaccessible to white audiences mm -hmm. um, or to white creative staff or to white administrative staff. Um, I refute that point wholeheartedly. Um, because, I, you know, think about it, I would say from the reverse end. Mm -hmm. um, think about, you know, black theater professionals such as myself that have been able to watch shows that I would argue center whiteness or white perspectives. And yet I'm still able to find a human connection in them, you know, um, in terms of, well, might it be harder for white audiences to understand a story told from a black perspective? There may be things that you don't understand. Um, there may be things that are unfamiliar, uh, but as my colleague Ashley always likes to say, Google is your friend. 
Um, ask Google your question. It will help. Um, Tremendously. Yes. But, but, there's, but there's still a, a, a fundamental humanity. And I think when we talk about theater, all of us are engaged in the work of fundamental humanity. Um, I truly believe that theater is a space for all of us to come together mm -hmm. and to experience a transformative event. Um, Absolutely. You know, so I, I, I just want to put that out there uh, before we start talking about action. Right. Um, and, oh, go ahead. And let me, yeah, let me just go ahead and add that while, you know, while I, while I do appreciate everyone tuning in and watching us and, you know, trying to figure out how are we going to make things better. Just remember that this, this, what I've created, what Dan has helped me to create, this is just a stepping stone. Um, I can't stress enough that the other theaters, uh, black owned theaters, uh, black and brown theater, those need tremendous support from mm -hmm. everyone and not just black people, not just Latinx people, not just people of color, but from everyone. Well, go, see, yeah. go see the work that black and brown theater is doing. Yes. Go see the work at these theaters because it, it, we can't move forward if you're not willing to support. And I also will say, um, guarantee, go see the work at these theaters. Um, you will see stars of the future. Mm -hmm. I guarantee it. Um, I can point to so many, just in black and brown theater, uh, that I have seen in black and brown theater productions and gone on to do fantastic work um, on stages, you know, at the Ringwald, uh, at the Dio, uh, at Detroit Repertory Theater. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, we are out here uh, and we have been spectacular for a while. Um, and I will also put in a plug, um, Younger theater professionals need the encouragement. They need the support. Yeah. Um, and they deserve the support. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not just from us, uh, but from everybody. So there's that. Yes. Uh, and then action. Yes. Um, so action is broken into two categories. Um, one for all theaters, which basically means community, educational, semi-professional, non-equity professional, and equity professional. Uh, and specific subsections for non-equity professional and equity professional theaters. Why that particular breakdown? Um, relatively speaking, um, non-equity professional theater and equity professional theater are where more of the resources are. Um, and those that can do more should do more. Um, but there are a couple of things here that I wanna touch on in terms of action for everybody that I think um, have to be baselines going forward. Um, a permanent commitment to creating and cultivating a safe, equitable, and inclusive workplace culture in which all artists, staff, administration, but in particular, Black, Indigenous, people of color, slash Latinx artist, staff, administration, feel empowered to express any concerns in a safe and understanding environment without fear of reprisal. Uh, an immediate and permanent end to racially insensitive and or problematic casting practices of all kinds, including casting white people as black indigenous people of color slash Latinx characters, 
using makeup or costumes to suggest an actor is of a different race or ethnicity, using an actor of one race or ethnicity to play a character of another race or ethnicity, etc. Uh, the permanent adoption of race transcendent casting practices for all shows and or characters in which race or ethnicity is not essential, which is to say, bring everybody in and the best actor for the part gets the part, period. As well as the permanent adoption of color conscious casting for all shows or characters in which race or ethnicity is essential, um, which is to say, if a part is written for a darker skinned black person, don't cast me. Or me. Don't cast us. <laughs> We're not for that part. We're not for that part. And that's okay. We admit that. <laughs> Proudly. I can give you several different suggestions of tremendous dark skinned black women who need to do that show. Exactly. Show it may be. Exactly. I could do the same thing with men. You know, like not, not every role for a black actor needs drake so don't don't look for drake just saying um a permanent commitment to anti-racism as it comes to the financial health and stability of the theater as an organization and this one is a key one because so many of these decisions the excuse is well it's a financial decision well we're concerned about audiences well we're concerned about donors etc cetera, etc cetera. um but a permanent commitment to anti-racism as it comes to finances, including either actively refusing to cater to audiences and donors who would encourage prejudice against or marginalization of Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx voices and theater professionals, or else using the income from said audiences and donors to actively support the amplification of Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx voices and employment support of black indigenous people of color slash Latinx theater professionals. Um, like it's, it's fine to take hateful money. Don't do hateful things with it. Exactly, exactly. Do you wanna read um, one more from the non-equity equity professional section? Oh, certainly. Um, I mean, I could touch on a couple of other things. Um, a dedication to increasing the number of Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx staff and administration, including mm -hmm. board of directors, whether that be through the creation of new positions for them or the replacement of white individuals in these positions with Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx individuals. Um, a commitment to dedicating at least one slot per season to a show written by Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx playwrights that specifically centers Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx stories, experiences, and characters, and a consciousness at all times to look for shows that do not marginalize or stereotype Black, Indigenous, people of color, or Latinx individuals in shows in which they are not the main focus. Um, you know, these sorts of things, this mm -hmm. kind of work, um, we, are, we are trying to engage all of it on every level um, because it needs to be engaged all of it on every level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the inclusion of a Black, Indigenous, uh, or person of color or Latinx individual on any play selection committee automatically would make such a difference mm -hmm. um, because Absolutely. they are going to have a perspective that you as a white theater professional may not. Um, and they okay. will be able, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually thoroughly 
uh, excited for the new diversity chair over at Players Guild Dearborn, Kenyatta Davis. I'm thrilled for him because I know that, and, and uh, Players Guild of Dearborn, they do really great shows, but they don't do enough shows that bring more people of color into a better light. So I, I'm thrilled for him that he's part of that, uh, part of the team there now. And I can't wait to see what kind of work that they, that they end up doing with his assistance. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah. Welcome aboard. I mean, it's brilliant. Like, mm -hmm. in that regard, the great work begins. Um, and it's going to need to continue to happen. But that's such a great example mm -hmm. of how already... Um, actionable and transformative change is happening. Should it have happened period. sooner? Yes, but you know. Well, girl, we know. Um, <laughs> oh, and then let me briefly um, touch on the uh, subsection for non-equity professional and equity professional theaters. So in addition to everything that we've listed, and there's more, um, again, blaqn.org, go to that website. This statement will be there. Um, but in addition to that, uh, mandatory implicit bias slash anti-racist training and education for all theater staff, artists, and administration. Absolutely. Including the board of directors. Absolutely. Um, top down. Top 1,000%. Down. Now, we, we certainly recommend it for everybody, um, but certainly when it comes to non-equity professional theaters or equity professional theaters, um, just in terms of talking with people, some of the most egregious examples of discrimination um, and abusive practices and abusive environments are at equity houses in the state. Um, it, and it is a top-down problem in many instances. So from the top down, it needs to be addressed. Um, a permanent commitment to dedicating at least one show per season to a play written by a Black Indigenous person of color slash Latinx artist that specifically centers Black Indigenous people of color slash Latinx stories, experiences, and characters. Just one. Just can one. Do one. one. can do one. You can do one. You can do one. A lot of theaters <laughs> around here have five shows a season, six shows a season. You can, can make room for one. Even, even, even if you do four shows a season. Y'all can make room for one. For one. Okay. Um, I'm ready to get to. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was going to touch it. Sorry. Um, a permanent commitment to equity and transparency in compensation, because this is another issue um, yes. that we run into all the time. Are we being paid? Are we being compensated equally compared to our white counterparts? Um, and I will actually bullet point that. Um, are Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx female? or female identifying artists being compensated equally to their male counterparts. Um, so there are issues within issues. Um, and I think the best way to address them is to make everything open, mm -hmm. make everything honest, make everything transparent. Absolutely. Um, for theaters with apprenticeship slash internship programs, this one is so important to me because when we're talking about apprentices, when we're talking about internships, we are talking about the future of our profession. We are talking about in many ways, um, why am I getting emotional? Uh, we are talking about those individuals 
in Michigan theater who should be considered the most important. Um, they do so much work. They are looking to theaters. They are looking to us in many ways to help discover who they are, not only as artists, but as people. We have a responsibility to them. Um, that's something that I personally take seriously, as you can tell. Um, but a permanent commitment to seek out Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx apprentices and to include as part of any apprenticeship or internship class, no less than one third Black, Indigenous, people of color slash Latinx apprentices going forward. Mm -hmm. um, it should not be that an internship program hires one Black apprentice or intern every five years. It should not be that a theater can't recollect the last time they had a Latinx apprentice or intern, or if they ever have had one. Mm -hmm. um, it is 2020. We can and must do better than that. <sighs> so there's that. You good? I'm good. Are you good? I'm good. <laughs> okay, so Krista said that we have uh, one, at least one question from our people in the chat. And then we also wanted to retouch on some of the questions from the part two as well, because I feel like we didn't, we didn't really thoroughly answer the questions as best as we could because we were caught up in our own stories. So whenever you're ready, Krista. All right. Thank you guys for all the work that you have been doing um, and you're getting lots of positive reactions chat well thank you for all your help too you're going to be talking mm. but um you're beautiful so thank you for for sharing all that so a question that came in was about the we see you uh sort of a more national wide statement has recently been put out just this week i know you guys are working on it well your statement well before before this the 31 page statement and i'll drop the link in the comments in just a minute but you read it later because it's 31 pages but the question is, have you guys seen that and looked at that? And what are your reactions to that? You're referring to the We See You White American Theater, right? Yes. Okay. I have heard about it. Um, I have not gotten the chance to fully read it like I know I should have. But Dan was telling me a lot about it. And he was, he was I think that's mm -hmm. more, up, more up Dan's Creek <laughs> for him to um, talk about that. I, I, I will say, honestly, um, while I have not gotten the chance to find tooth comb um, their particular statement, I, I think it's spectacular. Mm -hmm. um, I would happily endorse it uh, for Michigan theater. Um, and honestly, like Ashley had said, in terms of trying to figure out how to tackle these issues and how to tackle them in, an issue, uh, in a way that made sense specifically for Michigan theater, um, I personally was very inspired by the WCU White American Theater Movement. Mm -hmm. uh, I also was very inspired by a statement I read by the People of Color Affinity Group of the American Repertory Theater, who issued a statement to the American Repertory Theater describing in detail for them the ways that they needed to address their issues of systemic racism. Um, I can, I mean, obviously, the WCU White American Theater uh, document is, is much more thorough. Obviously, 31 pages. <laughs> there, there might be a, but a couple more people involved. Right. Um, but I mean, 
I love and respect so many of the people behind it. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. Rajiv Joseph, we're talking Lynn Manuel Miranda, we're talking David Henry Huang, we're talking Lynn Nottage. We're talking, you know, we are talking about so many guiding lights mm-hmm. um, of the American theater scene uh, when it comes to Black Indigenous people of color slash Latinx artists, voices, um, champions. And if you're just looking for something to read, uh, pick a name on that list read up on the work that they've done. I guarantee mm-hmm. it's going to be inspiring and amazing. Absolutely. And I, I definitely, once I get a chance to catch up in my work and other things that I have to do, that's definitely going to be one of the first things that I read Ooh, is that entire I, thing. I love it. I love it. I'm just looking definitely. at it and I'm seeing um, demanding <laughs> the formation of Black, Indigenous, People of Color entertainment unions. Ooh. Ooh. Sounds mm. juicy. So good. <laughs> so good. Sorry. Excellent. So for further reading, but read Dan's statement first, and that'll be on the website later today. Yes. Um, if there are questions, feel free to stick them in the, in the comments on Facebook, or you can DM me, and I am making sure that I check those. I missed a couple last time. But we did have a couple of questions that, that we touched on last time that we wanted to come back to. So I'll hit those if nothing else comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with what are the necessary steps white theaters need to take to have one or all of the three elements of Black theater, which would be an all-Black cast, a Black director, and or a Black script by a Black playwright. And this, you guys were talking a little bit about this at the end of, of your action stuff. So what are some steps that theaters can take to make that happen? Well, definitely, especially if you're looking for an all-Black cast or just to add enough Black people in a cast for a show, you have to make sure that whatever audition notices that you're putting up, you have to make sure that you're saying that you're being inclusive to, or that you're, you have to be specific. First of all, if you're looking for black people, you have to be specific. We are looking for A, B, and C, and D for black uh, actors for this show, whatever their age group is, what, or whatever their gender identity is, what have you. Be mm-hmm. specific, specificity is key especially when you're looking for uh, an all black cast, or if you're looking for an all, an all Latinx cast or all Asian, be specific. And yes. then make sure that you're respecting whatever is written in the story. If you're, if, for example, if you're doing Miss Saigon, you, you have to, have to have uh, Asian people in that show. You have to. You can't do that show with all white people. You just cannot. Oh, wait, but Jonathan Price, though. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> no, but I, I, w- I would completely agree. Yeah. Um, specificity is one of the essential keys to, to working on these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, acceptance of the unknown, I think, is another one. Um, a, a play like, for example... Uh, to name one, uh, Paradise Blue um, that was done at Detroit Public Theater. In order to completely unlock that play, you need to have some sort of grounding of Black people and Black Mm -hmm. history, and specifically the Black history of Detroit, um, and a grounding in jazz music, and a grounding in speaking. Like, you need to have some sort of grounding in a lot of different things, I think, Mm -hmm. in order to be able to tell that story most effectively. You may not have a grounding in any of those things that is okay just be willing to put in the work to get Mm -hmm. that grounding Um, because to understand you know it's basically understanding that not doing that work ultimately does a disservice 
Um, I, I personally, uh, because I'm a big research type person, uh, I view it as a sign of disrespect. And it, in, and I'm glad that you brought up Paradise Blue because with Paradise Blue, what what Detroit Public did, they made sure from from the very top of the show to even their costume and hair designer was black. You know, they made sure that they had a director that understood the nuances within that story. Um, they understood that they had to have black actors for that story because you're telling about Detroit's black bottom you you can't progress a story like like Detroit's Black Bottom without a black cast um and then the other part with their costume costume and hair designer uh designers they made sure that their designers were black so that way they knew especially with makeup and hair they knew that they wanted to make sure that the hair and makeup was on point and I know this for a fact because I got the chance to actually speak with Andrea Patterson, who played uh, uh, Silver in that show. Mm -hmm. And she said that um, Goldie, Goldie, who was the director, she made sure that she had um, a, a, a Black makeup and hair artist come in from New York that also knows Dominique Morisot and work on the show to make sure that the hair, makeup, everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. So it, it's real, it's definitely really important to have a black director directing a black show. Does that mean white people can't direct a black show? Not necessarily, mm -hmm. but you have to make sure that you listen to your actors and listen to other um, black uh, uh, theater professionals that are helping you with the show or either they're in the show or they're not in the show, but you have to listen to them so that well, you understand as a white director directing a black show that you understand the nuances and why some things are being said and why some why you can't say some things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. So much of what I hear is, is about the culture. And I think too, like you guys have yeah. talked a lot about what can be done in, in overall structure to create sort of trust and 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 so much I know from running a theater is is about building relationships and the more that we build these relationships then the easier this will this will be harder at first and then the easier it'll come and I love that you guys are talking about working towards and I think that's a that's a it's an important point speaking of let's jump from that to the question uh that sort of the statement that theaters have a bad habit of casting BIPOC actors in roles that are stereotypical and harmful and further perpetuate negative connotations. So how can theaters break the cycle of casting them in these harmful stereotypes? Stop picking plays that have harmful stereotypes. <laughs> That's a start. Basically. <laughs> um, do you notice that there is a there is a maid in your in your show? And maybe put that one aside. Um, I understand that stereotypes are comfort food, literally, for a lot of people. Um, goodbye, Aunt Jemima. But just because they feel comfortable, just because they're easier to understand, does not mean that they should be employed and does not mean that they are not actively damaging. Mm -hmm. um, so from the start, be cognizant of how you may be picking your plays in order to conform to stereotypes. Um, 
I think when it comes to the casting process, and this is another um, instance in which you want to listen very closely to your actors or to your creative staff. Um, if someone is telling you that something is reading as stereotypical or if something is telling you that something is reading as problematic or insensitive, um, and you are a white theater professional working on that show, your response cannot be anything but, I hear what you're saying, how can we fix it? Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. in that, in a situation like that, that's all that you really can say. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this also goes for like anybody who is a writer, where they are um, writing a story that where they want to include a person of color in it. Um, you have to be careful with how you're writing about them. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to assign any uh, harmful stereotypes to their character. And you also want to make sure that you're not using this POC character as an amplification for this white person on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. Cool. And then unless something else comes in while you're talking, this is our last question. And again, it's, it's sort of picking up on some things that you guys talked about last week and just going a little bit deeper mm-hmm. um, about, about reviews and theater reviews. Uh, when reviewing a show, some outlets can't look past the actor's skin color. How can those who are reviewing shows do better when addressing black actors and actors of color. So how can they how can they how can they do better? Don't look at the skin color. Because when it boils down to it, we're an actor just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, we, we shouldn't be referred to, you know, by 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 um, negative words like colored or or negro or anything like that because we are that character and not anything else um i did a show where my sister was white and my twin sister was white you know and it shouldn't be anything else past that she's my twin sister it doesn't matter because what you should be concentrating on is the work and how we're progressing the story along. Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm black, she's white has nothing to do with the show at all. Well, and, and, and think back to a skin color is not, you know, it's not a character. Exactly. Um, race is not a character. Um, ethnicity is not a character, you know. Um, going back to what you tend to see every Halloween, people posting on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatnot, a culture is not a costume. Um, in scenarios where you see Black people or Indigenous people, people of color, Latinx artists, uh, playing characters, think about the character. Mm-hmm. Think about the characteristics of that character. And unless you're talking about a show or a script um, where race is essential somehow, why assume that it is don't don't stop at that surface of oh okay well this must be the black character no it's a black person playing a character so let me let me i'm going to ask a a further question on that so what i'm hearing is unless unless race is an issue in terms of in the structure of the play or, or the plot of the play race doesn't need to be mentioned 
at all in the review. Exactly. So mm-hmm. what if it is an issue? What if it's what if what if it's a part of the script or part of you know what's happening in the in the dynamics between the characters and you say a reviewer wants to be sure to to touch on those is there some guidance on language and ways to address it when when it is appropriate to talk about race because of the because of the content of the play hmm. i mean uh, i i would say in the first place uh keep in mind that language is constantly evolving um mm-hmm. if you're going to be talking about race know what the current terms are uh you know know what's acceptable know what's not um be willing to confront your own prejudices be willing to ask a, like I, I cannot think of an instance where a reviewer was writing something about a show and needed clarification on something um and asked about that clarification with say a director um just to get a point of clarification and that director saying no um I can't imagine a scenario where a critic might have a question about race and, you know, they, they hop on Google. And again, they, they do research. They research the play itself um, and what a playwright's intentions might have been. And then they look at the work on the stage and they try to look at the playwright's in- intentions in conjunction with how that production is presenting those intentions. Um, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'd never say, you know, white people can't write about black people. Um, but in the same way, do your homework, be informed, reach out to people. Um, but understand that, you know, if, should you get it wrong, that's something that you do have to own up to. Um, and ultimately that is not something that's the fault of a black performer or an indigenous performer. Um, Ooh, I'm actually thinking (laughs) intersectionality um, of a review of Head Over Heels on Broadway in which um, the leading character was misgendered uh, Mm -hmm. as a joke. Um, Mm. That's on that reviewer. You know, that is ultimately, mm-hmm. that was not and never was the responsibility or the fault of the performer. Right. So keep that in mind. The only time I would feel like a reviewer would comment anything on the race of, of a character in a show is if the theater got it wrong intentionally. And the reviewer knows, like, say, for example, if, if a reviewer was reviewing Hairspray and they cast a white person for seaweed, then, yeah, call them out. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just me. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, that theater should know good and well with a character like Seaweed, they should not be a, anybody else but a dark-skinned Black man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But other than that... Um, unless it, unless the story, the play is about race, then, you know, ra- uh, commenting on the actor's race during a show should not even come up. Excellent. That's good. No new questions have come in. I keep checking my messages to, to make sure. We've scared but, uh... people. 
I mean, if they stuck around this long already, I'm just saying, good luck for them, you know, sticking around this long with us. You spoke well and clearly and eloquently on your subjects and gave people more things to look at and think about on the website and uh, blackin.org. Yes. Um, So the statement and uh, the statement and the survey uh, will be up within an hour after this is over Mm -hmm. and you'll be able to read both of them in its entirety um, because there were things that we didn't get a chance to to really address because of the amount of time that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, please, please, by all means, Dan mostly worked on that his entire, the entire time he put, he put his blood, sweat, tears, feet, toes, everything into it. So, <laughs> um, well, it's okay. And also because, you know, I am like a golden retriever squirrel. Um, I did pull up uh, the WCU white American theater statement. Um, the first sentence of the statement is something I'm going to reiterate for our statement. Mm. This is a living document. Yes. Particularly in regards to Black, Indigenous, people of color, slash Latinx, theater professionals. Please, we want to keep this going. We want to keep this moving. Um, Engage with us. Send us your thoughts, suggestions, concerns, comments, anything. Um, Because all of us truly, I think, are wanting to get together to unite and hold Michigan theater to account and show ways and demand ways in which it can be better for all of us, a safer place for all of us, a more inclusive place for all of us, a more accepting place for all of us, a more creative space for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we want. Go ahead, Krista. A new question has come in. Hold on, I haven't even had a chance to completely read it. Here it is. Thoughts on the cancel culture movement to cancel Hamilton. Why are we canceling Hamilton? There has been, I've seen some people who are very upset that um, they feel that that the issue of many of the founding fathers having slaves is not covered enough within the, that it's sort of lifting up these slaveholders. That's, that's, I don't know if that's the, the, the question's intent, but I've seen a lot of people talking about that. So that would be my best my best guess as to what the cancel culture around okay are are you ready yeah 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 yeah, yeah. before before we get to ashley's perspective (laughs) are you you ready for my particular um heretical statement please i have not seen hamilton i have no comment wait let me let me let me close his video out wait a minute here here is here is a baby yoda (laughs) like at all really i apologize to the culture really Um, at all i did my nails for you <laughs> Thank you. It's called okay. party in a bottle. Okay, I I will do. I will deal with this heretic in a little bit, but. <laughs> what are your thoughts on him? <laughs> to cover slavery in Hamilton, which is already almost three hours long, um, seems like an injustice to the entire in to to the entire amount of enslaved people by Jefferson, George Washington, all all of these different founding fathers to cover that. They did I would say that they actually did cover quite a bit of it. If they did if they did cover anything in in deeper depth about slavery in Hamilton, it would steer the entire story away from which was actually about Hamilton. 
you know, if Ham the, the entire story about Hamilton is to actually talk about Alexander Hamilton, which actually I personally would like to have seen or seen something a little bit more about his young, a little bit more about his younger days before he got to the States. That's my opinion. But to talk about slavery, listen, Google is your best friend. If you wanna learn more about what these founding fathers did with their slaves, I mean, honestly, just look at Thomas Jefferson and his rapey ass. I mean, I'm just saying, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. period. Um, but just, just do, just honestly, do a Google search, go to your library, read about these founding fathers and, and actually find, cause, some, cause sometimes you won't even find it in the library, but research these founding fathers. If you wanna learn more about slavery and how many slaves they had and, and the whole process about them being slave owners, do your research. You're not gonna find that in a show like Hamilton. You're just not at all. So, so if I were to tell me if I'm summing this up correctly, because the question was about cancel culture, you would say, don't cancel Hamilton, just do some more research and learn your own. Exactly, don't cancel it. How do you expect for, 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 for Lin-Manuel Miranda to cover the, in, the in, entirety of slave ownership between these founding fathers with an already three hour long show? We'd be there all day. Be a different show. It'd, It'd be, be a completely different show. Yep. All right. I that that one came in, and I oh, hold on. My question. Oh, <laughs> Dan. Somebody is is advocating that we share our username and password with you, so you can see Hamilton. <laughs> so, hit me up later. I'm, I'm sorry. I promise <laughs> I will. Um, I haven't seen West Side Story either. Although I've met, I'm more likely to see Hamilton than West Side Story. I'm 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 a trash panda of a theater artist. I'll admit that. That's, a, that's okay. Yeah, we're, we we're, we're we're gonna make up for this. That's okay. That's okay. We're gonna make up for this. Okay. But yes. Thank you, everybody that tuned in. Thank you, Krista, for moderating this. Even though we had like what five questions. Uh, <laughs> but I appreciate I appreciate you. I appreciate Sarah. You guys have really just been. I can't even can I I can't even just talk about how much of a big help that you guys have been, especially with getting the word out regarding this miniseries, um, and then especially Dan. What 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 can I say about Dan? Like you you just been such such an ongoing motivation for me to do this, and I can't talk about you enough. And why are you doing that with your head? <laughs> That's great, Dan. You're awesome. Uh, Dan I is do, so awesome. I do what I do. I do what I do. Yes. Um, I, I will reiterate that with Krista and with Sarah. They've been so helpful and so willing to assist with anything from reading through things to moderating to, you know, engaging the community. Um, yes. Ashley, you're brilliant. You are astonishing. Um, in terms of your perspective and in terms of your insight and in terms of your outreach and in terms of your support and in terms of your heart. Um, I'm getting emotional again. I cannot say enough good things. So I won't try. 
Oh, gosh. We're, we're just going to be sitting on here all day gushing about each other. So, you know, we're going to let you guys go. And we're just going to keep gushing about each other. But thank you all so much who have tuned in. Thank you for sticking with us through this four-part series. Um, this is the last episode of this mini-series. However, this will not be the end of this conversation. Yes. Please keep this conversation going. Please make sure that if you are an AD, if you are a president, if you are some type of theater administrator, if you are an actor, if you are a crew member, please keep this kind of conversation going because mm -hmm. we cannot let this conversation stop. Because nope. the moment that it stops, it all starts back up again. Yep. And yep. history repeats itself, which is why we're in the predicament we are right now today in government. Anyway, so thank you all so much. My name is Ashley M. Lyle. Have a great, great day. <laughs>